Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Hey, I am so excited to be up here and being able to speak uh, the word here tonight and being able to share uh, with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before I do, I'd firstly like to uh, bring honor where honor is due and honor um, our senior pastors, Pastor Paul and Kate Bartolo. Hey, myself and us as a church, we are so blessed to have these guys as our senior pastors. Hey, they are great leaders and they are taking us forward into the future. And I know that our greatest days are ahead of us as a church with them as our leaders. So can we honor our senior pastors right now? Thank you, Pastor Paul, uh, for all you do, mate. We love you. Great mentor and great friend. Fantastic. Hey, but before I begin tonight, I'd love to pray and and invite you right now to close your eyes and bow your heads if you wish to do so as we open in prayer. Father God, thank you, God, for tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for the word that you have given me, God, to bring here tonight. I pray that hearts be open, God, to receive, Father. And I pray, Lord, you speak, God. You speak into every heart tonight, Father, and I just pray revelation tonight on who you are, God, that Jesus Christ, that you are Lord of all. I thank you, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Awesome. Well, the month of October, right, we're here. Can anyone believe it's actually October already? The year has gone very quick. But here at City Edge, uh, in this month of October, we're going through the book of Colossians in our series called Hope of Glory. And what I love about this is that we are diving into one book of the Bible uh, this whole month. And we are pulling out uh, many key points and, and, let's say, messages that this book uh, brings across. And because we here at City Edge, we believe the Word of God is alive and it is active. And I'm really believing the Word is going to speak to people tonight. But not just tonight, but when you go home tonight or, or throughout the week and you open up your Word, you open up the Bible, you, you read Colossians, you read the chapter that we're talking about tonight. We're praying and we're believing for you as the congregation here at City Edge that, that you're going to be receiving revelation at home. You're going to be receiving revelation in your workplaces as you open up the Word and, and for your lives, for your families, for your businesses here because I know that God speaks through His Word. He speaks through His Word and He wants to speak to every person here tonight. So all He's asking really is, do you have an open heart to listen? Do you have an open heart to listen? Because I want to speak to you. I want to pour out into your lives through the word that I've written uh, 2,000 years ago. But now for those who may have never heard of the book of Colossians before, it is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, um, believed to be around the year 62 AD. And at the time of writing this letter, it is believed that the Apostle Paul was in a Roman prison at the time. So here's this guy writing, um, the most, one of the most famous men in history, Writing this, writing this letter to the Colossians while he's in prison. Like, I mean, well done, mate. Like, that's fantastic. Now, now, the incredible thing is, unlike some of Paul's other letters, though, the Colossian church was not one that he's actually started, and it's believed that it had been started by a man, a man named Epaphras. And this can be seen in um, Paul's writing as he is uh, coming across very nice, and he's being very, but being very firm in speech. I tend to think it's a little bit like he's disciplining someone else's child. 
he's, he's coming across. He's like, I can't yell at you. Like, seriously, I can't get up you right now. But please stop doing what you're doing. Like, please, just, just, just lay your hands off that. Thank you. Because the, because the impact you're making right now is really screwing it up for everyone else. But I, I love you. Whereas, like, your kid, you'd be like, get here right now, mate. You know, come on, you know. I don't know if you do that. But, but I'm sure Paul might have... Um, <laughs> Paul would have probably let loose if they were if he planted that church. Because the issue here in, in Colossae, and, and the reason for Paul writing this letter was due to the heresies uh, that were creeping into the church in Colossae and misleading the people um, of the truth, which is the gospel. And you see, there were groups of people that were trying um, to add to the gospel and also many groups trying to subtract from it as well. And tonight as we dive um, into chapter 2 this evening of Colossians, we're going to look at what was happening in the church at this time, but also how this letter, uh, written 2,000 years ago, actually applies to our lives today, especially um, in the society that we live in. I believe that the Bible speaks straight to our society today. You know, it was written 2,000 years ago, but it is, it is, it is a word that is so much like that we can take from and we can apply to see change in our society. I'm going to say not much has changed. Like maybe leaders have changed. Maybe things have called different things. But really the principles being the same. And, and it really the, the end goal is Satan's coming to rob, kill, and destroy, but Jesus is coming to bring life and life far abundantly. And that's what he's going to continue to do until the day he returns. But before we um, jump into the scripture, for those who do not know, before I moved to Caloundra, I used to um, be a butcher and work for my parents in a small town um, in far north Queensland. Now, I was 15 years old. I've got a few fo a photo coming up here. Uh, when I started my apprenticeship and to become a butcher, and one of the first apprentice jobs was actually to make the sausages. Now, you would also have to sort out the offal as well. For those who don't know, that's the liver, the kidneys, the hearts, and the tongue. I remember, like, Yes, I see some cringes now. Like, it was honestly horrible. But um, yeah, but that was one apprentice job. And the other one for the first year apprentice was making the sausages every week. If we can get the photo up, I think um, people appreciate my first... Um, no, that's not me. Uh, my, first <laughs> my first batch of sausages. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You guys do a great job. Um, no, honestly, though, they do. Um, I really appreciate it. But now for... Pretty much the first two years of my, um, of my apprenticeship, there would be set out days in which I would have to make the sausages, right? I'd have to uh, get the sausages and make them up in the morning, make up the meat, and then I'd have to go and fill them in the sausage filler. Now, for any people who aren't butchers, you're this probably going way over your head right now, and that's fair enough. But one thing was, though, is that this was something you do all day. Every, every like once or twice a week, all day, you'd be dedicated to making sausages. Now, for some, it's like, yes, but for me, it was quite boring. And I used to become best mates with the sausage filler. That best mates used to have conversations to it. Yeah, mate, good on you. Yeah, oh, come on. Like, that's not a good one, you know? Like, and I, I don't know, I was a bit weird. But, um, but one thing was is that when you would fill the sausage filler up, you had to make sure that it was, the meat was flush on the, um, on the surface, because if it wasn't, if you let air in there and you filled it out, there would actually be a lot of air would come through the sausages. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of air sausages, right? I, I actually would like meat in, in there. And I remember this one time, I, I thought I had it flush, eh? Honestly, I thought, <laughs> I thought I had it. I think I was changing over from different, um, different types of meat. 
And I, I had it there and I pulled the plunger down and I was ready to go. I was ready to make these bad boys, you know, ready for bunning snags maybe one day. But anyway, as it came out, it wasn't to be. So it came out and it just went and it fly out now. Usually they'll go and like sound like gunshots and they'll go out and like you'll see, oh man, air, okay, fix that up. But this one here was that powerful that the, I, I obviously was in a dream this day and I left that much air in it that it came out, it broke the sausage skins and it went all over the wall. And I'm just like, oh, turn it off. And I'm just like, you know how like you just like, you look back and it was just like five second moment like, oh man. I'm in trouble. <laughs> and like, I just looked because all the cleaning products were up there too. So I was going all over them as well. And even, believe it or not, my mom actually walks out the door and she like, oh boy. She's like, you better clean that up before your father sees it. <laughs> so I like quickly washed it down and, and cleaned it up and got it ready to go. And that was one of many errors I probably made as an apprentice. But why I mention this story is the fact that the moment I added to the sausage filler, right, something that isn't meant to be there, Completely messed up the whole situation. Completely messed up everything that it was there to do. And it's funny because we as humans love to do that when it comes to Jesus sometimes. We start believing that to accept Jesus, we must also do other things or receive other things. But quite frankly, all we actually need is Him. And that is what the Colossian church, I believe when I'm reading this scripture, didn't quite understand. And we see here in Colossians 2 verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, it is, it is seen here, sorry, that the Apostle Paul is trying to make it clear to the Colossians that it's all to do with Jesus. That he was trying to bring them back to the center as they swayed either side through ideologies and through practices. So tonight, if, if you could put my message into one sentence, it would be this. It would be Jesus plus nothing equals everything. See, one of the biggest lies someone could ever tell you is that Jesus isn't enough. And tonight I'm here to grab that lie and to shatter it on the ground and to tell you tonight that He is. That Jesus is enough for your life today. He's enough for you. He's the, one who, he's the only one who can satisfy your thirst, your hunger, your soul today. He's the only one. See, there is nothing else we need to add to Jesus or change in Jesus to make Him more sufficient, mighty, holy, loving, merciful, or powerful than He already is. And this leads me to my first point, that you cannot add to Jesus. See, one of the biggest heresies that faced the Colossian church was that there were people who were adding to the gospel. They didn't have the revelation that who Jesus is was enough. And with the influence of Judaism, the Colossians were turning the gospel into becoming quite uh, moralistic. It was like Jesus plus works, as if there were, was like add-ons when it comes to Jesus. And one way I, I sort of think about this is like when you go to a car uh, dealership, right? And you, and you go buy your brand new Ford Mustang or something like that. Like, go Ford. They want today, I heard. Woohoo. Um, like, just like, I, honestly, I, I'm a big fan of sport, but I don't get car racing. It's like guys racing around on a track. I'm like, 
yeah, good on you, mate. Like, great. Like, you know, and all the, all the fans who love it are like, get over it. But um, so you go get your beautiful Ford Mustang, right? And, and you pay the money and you do that. And, and the thing is, they're like, yeah, no worries. Like, and you know, the dealership guy, I love it when you walk in, they're like, become your best. Friend. Hey, mate, come on here. Oh, yeah, good on you. Yeah, you know, you want this Mustang? Oh, you go for a spin, mate. You know, and, and like, they tell, they'll be all nice here and everything. And then you're going to buy it. You go sign the paper. And they're like, oh, man, we give you seven years on unlimited kilometer warranty. Like, that's what we do here. Like, you know, come sign those papers. And you go to sign it. And then, until you read down low in the fine little print that you've got to get your car serviced there every time or else you lose it. <laughs> like, there's the little add-ons that you find that are just like, oh, man, like, do I really have to? Or, like, you got to, if you, if you get your paint protection there, you got to get it washed there every time or something like that or else you lose it. And, like, sometimes I think people come like that with God. It's like, I can accept, gee, I get the best thing, but there also must be some other add-ons here because it can't be enough that I can just accept Jesus and have transformation in my life. But the Apostle Paul actually breaks that down here. He actually says that is completely not true, that you can have Jesus and He can be everything. He is everything for your life. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, underlined substance, belongs to Christ. See, where they were trying to add to Christ with dedicated foods, drinks, and festivals, the Apostle Paul is clearly stating here that they have missed the point and that the substance, if you have a Bible, underline it or highlight it on your Version Bible app, belongs to Christ. That doing these works adds nothing to His divine nature and to His supremacy. And it's amazing, right? Although it looks different today, although we're not, maybe, well, some of us might be arguing over food, but it's not exactly something that's going on fully, but how we can often fall in the same trap as the Colossians. You know, we just, I guess, um, look at it a bit differently. We may not declare that Jesus isn't enough, but our actions can sometimes show that through how we feel. And one of the biggest ones comes back to our self-worth. You know, it's easy to have the mentality that if I do this, God will be proud of me. You know, if I say the right thing, God, he, he probably won't let bad things happen to me now. If I only speak what's right. If I give this much, then only then will I be blessed. And, and like, don't get me wrong. Um, things we can, like, sorry. And though many things we can do, say, and give are good, right? Like, the Bible talks so much about that. I'm not pulling away from that. I'm all for doing good. I'm all for uh, saying the right things. I'm all for giving over and above. But what I'm trying to say here is that works are never a way to make God love and accept us, but our response because God loves and accepts us. I think that needs to be something for people to hear tonight, is that works are never a way to make God love and accept us, but our response because God loves and accepts us. You know, when I got um, saved when I was 14 years old, I grew up in a Christian family, right? I used to get dragged to church. I was like, oh, I just went because mum and dad went, you know, and, and like my brothers went and I looked up to them, so oh, it must be cool, I'll go, you know, and I just did what I had to do. But it was when I got a transformation happen in my heart that I started, that my mentality started to change. I didn't do it because I had to, I did it because I wanted to. 
I told my friends about Jesus at school because I loved them and I wanted to see God's love flow through them as well. I started sharing the gospel with people. I started living a life and, and watching what I say and doing good because I knew that God loves me and this is God loves other people as well. And that because Christ is the substance of our lives as Christians, we don't need to add to Him by what we do, but we serve, we give, and we speak because of the love that has transformed our lives today. And tonight, if you're here and, and Christ isn't the substance of your life, if He isn't the center of your life, see, there will be an opportunity you can make that decision to follow Him at the end of this message. So my first point tonight was church was that you cannot add to Jesus. And my second point is that you cannot take away from Jesus. So when I, when I was in primary school, uh, in high school actually, I used to play cricket. Now I love cricket. And there's probably a few people like, man, God help you. Like, you know, you know what I mean? I know cricket's not every person's sport. You know, I was actually thinking about it, how weird. Like if I'm not a cricket fan, I'm like, I wonder how weird it is. Like to get the umpire's attention, you've got to yell at him. Like, you know, when it's called LBW, hits it, and the players are going, Hello! like yell at him. I'm like, I wonder why they implemented that. Was it because the umpire fell asleep or something like that? And they're like, oh, no! oh there he's gone. <laughs> you know, like, I sometimes, I sometimes wonder what, um, what went through the mind in the making of cricket. But anyway, um, I love the game. It's probably one of my favorite sports uh, to play. But for some reason, um, for some, it's like watching grass grow. And believe me, when you get told to field right out on the boundary when you're 11-year-old, you're pretty much watching grass grow. Um, it was quite boring. Um, but I remember in my under-11s, um, every game the coach would say, who is the captain? Now, it would change from week to week because everyone's got to get a go at being captain <laughs> and, and to give everyone a go. But the thing is, when you're dealing with 11-year-olds... And our competitive nature didn't matter who was captain because certain people on the team would tell you what to do anyway. It'd be like, oh, I don't want to, I want to come in and feel, be wicketkeeper. Nah, no, you know what, I'm being wicketkeeper, you know. And, they'd, and, then, and then there'd be such a big argument. We'd be like, we like mice fighting over a piece of cheese. Like, who gets, who gets the bowl first? You know, who gets, the, who gets the bat first? Who gets the field out there near, near the plover's nest? That, I remember one time I had the field out there and, and out on the boundary, cricket, and lit, literally no one wanted to go because there was a massive plover's nest right there. And it, I tell you what, grass growing was a side thing because all you were doing, don't worry about the ball, you're watching the plovers come. And you're like, oh, and the ball's coming out, there's four. And I literally remember this one kid, the, like cricket, you hit the ball, and the ball was going out to him, and he literally let it go for four runs because he's running away from the plover. And we're like, mate, <laughs> where's the commitment, man? You know, you dropped next week. <laughs> 11-year-old, you know. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing was, like, everyone would get arguing and, and would argue with each other, like, oh, what's going on? And there'd be so much um, confusion because nobody saw the person who was captain this week as leader, but only as a player like the rest of them. And the value of the captain, it would be taken away. And this has been a similar approach, I believe, with the church of Colossae and what they did to Jesus being their captain, the ultimate captain. You see, the church of Colossae was quite... Um, pagan, actually, and it was full of a word you'd call uh, syncretism. Syncretism. 
See, syncretism is the combining of different beliefs there while blending their practices in various schools of thought. So it's like, oh, we believe everything and we can practice everything and get on well. But the thing is, Jesus to them was a God, but they didn't see him as the God above all gods. You see, Jesus, uh, you see, God, sorry, was too high, but Christ was too low for the Colossians. And instead of placing Christ, Lord of Lords, where he belongs, they placed him as one of the gods they worshipped with their other ones. But follow me in the scripture here in Colossians 2, as Paul urges the Colossians to place Christ above the rest. Colossians 2, chapter, uh, 2 sorry, verse 20 to 23 says this, You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pierce self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. See, it was quite common that a person in Colossae would worship and discipline themselves in practice towards an earthly God, and then also add Christ into that equation and try and follow him also. Yeah, yeah, cool, I'll go to church on Sunday and do that, but I'll also go and worship this other God throughout the week. And sometimes I think that not much has changed uh, from first century Colossae to 21st century postmodern Australia. It can be so easy to make Jesus just a piece of our lives rather than the whole of our lives. See, it's easy to make Jesus an addition to our lives around what we want and expect him to just fit in where we tell him to. It can sometimes be like, oh, Jesus, you get this area and this other thing, you get that area and you get that area. But Jesus is like, I don't want this area, man. I'm bound to something. I want the whole room, man. I want your whole house. But sometimes we can just put him in the corner and say, you stay there, like, and just leave him there and only let him come out maybe every Sunday or every Friday night or every life group. And though you need to let him come out there, but you need to let him come out on your Monday and on your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, your every day. See, we can have our gods here on earth now. Then they might not be statues or, or, or something like that. They might go by different names. Some of them go by the name of Facebook. Some of them go by the name of Netflix. Some of these gods go by the name of the iPhone or, or the Samsung. Some of these go by the names of our laptops or TVs. Some of them go as names as such as our career or our university degree or our schools. They become our schooling. They become our God. And though those things aren't bad, but we can't allow them to become gods of our lives. These gods may be called your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It may be called your bank account or your motor vehicle, or your house. See, these can all be gods in which we expect Jesus to work around because they're very important. And the funny thing is, we as humans, we try and convince God, God, you know, my car's really important. And God's like, I know, but I still got to come before that. I still got to be placed above that. And we can so easily have the mentality of knowing Jesus Lord above all things, but our lives clearly show otherwise that he is just another add-on. Or another way of looking at it, and in today's culture especially, is when it comes to individual, individuality, sorry, my English there, and relativism. Um, the ideology that says, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. That you can believe anything you want, and that all roads, uh, they lead to Rome, let's just say. 
And this is the thing that people say, oh, it's okay, as long as it's true for you, that's fine. You know, you just do whatever that is. And, and like, honestly, like, that's not the gospel, man. Like, when I read my gospel, because our culture is really tangling with this ideology right now, especially our young generation is definitely, like, my generation is definitely tangling with it. But the truth is that, okay, maybe 2,000 years ago, all literal Romes may have led to Rome, but... One road leads to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Only one road leads to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus was quite objective. Jesus was quite absolute, especially when he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one. He didn't say, oh, some of you. He didn't say a few. He didn't say most. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That there is no other truth, church. There is no other way. There is no other life. It's all Him. It's all Jesus tonight, church. Come on. Here we grasp a hold of this. It's nothing else that we can hold on to. But if I just get a bit of this, I may be satisfied. No, turn to Jesus tonight. If I just get, if I can just be around this person. No, turn to Jesus. Get more around Jesus tonight because He will satisfy your soul. He will, he will bring, um, He will quench your thirst tonight. See, it's all by Him. It's all in Him. And it's all through Him tonight, church. Praise God. That what, when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is one who stands above the rest, who stands above all, and he is Jesus. I love the way, um, I love what John Piper says. Um, in, he says it in a great way, allowing Jesus to be the truth and superiority in our lives. It's in his book, The Superiority of Christ in a Postmodern World. He says this, he says, would you want to watch a football game where all the players were no better than you? Like, I wouldn't. I go for the Roosters. They win. Like, seriously. <laughs> Sorry. I just had to say that. I got the opportunity. Let it out. <laughs> or, watch a, or watch a movie where the actors could act no better than you and were no better looking than you. Or go to a, go to a museum to see pictures by painters who could paint no better than you. Why are we willing to be exposed in all these places as utterly inferior? How can we get so much joy out of watching people magnify their superiority over us? The biblical answer is that we were made by God to get our deepest joys, not from being superior ourselves, but from enjoying God's superiority. All these other experiences are parables. God's superiority is absolute in every way, which means our joy. Now, I love that. Our joy in it may be greater than we could ever imagine. I was actually quite blown away reading that. It was so powerful. It's, God was speaking to me in that moment. And I want to encourage you tonight, church. Let Jesus be the truth you hold on to. Let him be your superiority tonight. Let him be the very thing your life holds on to. See, it is for our joy, church. It is for our joy that he is Lord. You know, I love it when, you know, you get a young person and like you get to be their leader and they celebrate that. They're like, yes, you're our leader. Woohoo! Or you're our coach. He's the best coach ever. And they're so happy. They're so joyful. And you know what? We can have the same approach when we come to God because he is Lord and that is for our joy. 
He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's not like, oh my gosh, God's King of Kings. No, it's like, yes, God is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. I'm going to celebrate that right now. I am joyful because He is Lord and because He is sovereign over all. And we can find our rest in that as well tonight, church. Because I want to tell you something. Every fake God, every fake God calls you to climb a ladder to get to it. It calls you to say, come on, come on up. You got to keep doing, keep doing this, keep doing that. But all Jesus does is call you to do is open up. The fake gods say, do this and then you'll be worthy. Come on, do this and and you'll be worthy. Come on, strive harder. Keep going and you will have worth. It says, then it says, do this and, and say this and then you will be satisfied. Go practice that and you will be filled. That's what these fake gods tell you. Then you will have peace. Then, then you will have freedom. This is the lies these fake gods, even the ones I've mentioned, will tell you tonight, church, will tell you in your time at home. But I love what Jesus says, the true God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says this, he says, ask and it will be given to you. He says, just seek and you are fine. Knock and the door will be open. Because Jesus, church, he came down the ladder 2,000 years ago. See, we didn't have to climb a ladder to get to Jesus. He came down the ladder to us. He came to earth. He lived a holy and a blameless life. You know, Jesus did not sin once. He did not sin once. He lived a holy life. Then he died on the cross for those who put him on there. He died for sinners like you and me, people who have done wrong in our lives. The one who did no wrong actually chose to die for us and to take it on his shoulders. But on the third day, but on the third day, Jesus rose again to prove, church, that he is. See, if Jesus, if Jesus didn't rise again, then it's all okay, history. He's just a normal man. But because he rose again, He proved that He is the King of kings. He proved that He is the Lord of lords. And most importantly, Jesus proved that He was the Son of God. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. Man, there's so much you can take out of these scriptures, eh? It's fantastic. He says, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, Jesus proved that he just wasn't a a good teacher. He proved that he wasn't just a man of wise words. He proved that he wasn't just a prophet. He'd proven that he wasn't just a guy that, that was very nice and, and like that, but that he is God himself, that Jesus was God in flesh, and that he is worthy of all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory, and he is all we need. Why is this? Why can this be so? How can this be so? Because, church, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. <laughs>